Uh, we've been uh, walking through the Gospel of Luke with Jeremy on the way to the cross, looking at the life of Jesus as, he, as it leads up to the cross. And today we come to what's called Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. It's that time when uh, the church kind of has the idea that this is the, and it really is, it's the first day of the last week of the life of Jesus. And there's an amazing week going to transpire here in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And Jeremy just read the passage for you, but we call it the Passion Week. And we'll talk about that in a minute, all right, this, this idea of what the Passion Week is. But the idea is that the king is coming, right? The king's on his way into town. Jeremy just talked about that with the kids. But he didn't come in to wipe out the Roman government, did he? No, he didn't do, do that. He, he came in to die for the sins of the world. He came in for you and me, finally letting people know that we, he is finally here. The king has finally arrived. Now, if you've ever been on a trip with little kids, there's a question they always ask. And they usually ask it early in the trip. They usually ask it with energy. They usually ask it even when you tell them you don't want to hear it again. They ask it over and over and over. What's the question? Are we there yet? Yeah, you know how it works. Someone in the back seats gets, gets violated or harassed or hassled in some way, and airspace is violated. And so what do they do? They set up boundaries, and then before long, the cadence starts. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you like say, all right, enough. Right? And you're hoping to get there soon. My point is this. I wonder if the disciples ever asked, are we there yet? Because we know in the scripture and the gospels, over and over, Jesus said his time had not yet come. He often told people, don't let people know that about what happened. My time is not yet at hand. And so, in, in other words, he was saying, we're not there yet. And so as the Passion Week begins, Jesus is basically saying, we're finally here. We've, it's, the time has arrived. The time has come for Jesus to suffer, to die, to pay for the sins of the world. And he did it for us to, to set his creation free. So not only is Palm Sunday the beginning of the Passion Week, it's also the beginning of the greatest celebration in the Jewish, on the Jewish calendar. You know what it is? Passover. Passover, exactly. And so five days before the Passover celebration, the families would find a, an unblemished lamb in their flock, and they would set it aside to be slaughtered four days later for the Passover meal. All right? That, that's how it worked. And that's kind of a... Just think of that. You take a lamb from your flock and you let it be part of the family, almost like the family pet for a week. And then you slaughter the thing. I don't know what the kids went through when that happened, but, but that's kind of the idea here. But, but we know that Jesus is the actual physical, literal representation of that, that, uh, that little lamb that was taken out. Chosen to be sacrificed for the sins of the world, right? That's what happened. And so Passover is this huge deal in Israel. But you know what? The death of Jesus Christ on the cross, an even bigger deal for us. Bigger than any little sheep that gets slaughtered. Uh, even though it was a picture of that. I don't know if you know who Timothy McCarthy is, you may or may not, but Timothy McCarthy was the Secret Service agent who jumped in front of John Hinckley's gun and took a bullet for President Reagan. And when he did that, it actually saved the president's life. Brave man to do that. And so we say, wow, what a hero. He took a bullet for President Reagan. But you know what? At Calvary, on the cross, Jesus Christ took a bullet for you and me. When he went to the cross, he died for you. And he, he was basically saying, we're finally here. It's finally arrived. The time has come for me to do what I need to do. And in one fell swoop, God showed his love for the world, didn't he? Amen. Yes, he did. So when we look at the creation... 
we see God's handiwork, but when we look at the cross, we see his heart at work, his love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his redemption. For people like us, people who are sinners, we didn't deserve it, but he went to the cross to save us, to rescue us. The king is coming. He's coming to be tried in your place. He's coming to be punished for your sins. He's coming to bring, bring peace and redemption and forgiveness to your life. That's the the Savior that we, we uh, see taking place on the cross, what he did for us. And so Palm Sunday is one of those great moments in the life of Jesus. It's Sunday. By Friday, Jesus will be dead, and then by next Sunday, he's alive again. Amazing week's about to transpire. We're just at the beginning here. And I hope Good Friday for you is a, is a day to, for, to remember. I don't know why they call it Good Friday necessarily. Historically, it was probably the worst Friday in history. But we as Christians understand it as Good Friday. We might even call it Great Friday, the greatest Friday in history for us because our sins were forgiven when Jesus Christ died on the cross. So an amazing week is about to transpire, and Jesus is openly declaring himself to be king when he comes riding into town on this donkey in, in fulfillment of the, the Zechariah 9.9, and I'm going to read that for you. And keep in mind, this was written 500 years before Jesus even was alive. And it says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout loudly, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation in his hand, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I just want to read that again, what Jeremy just read for us, uh, to kind of set the scene for this. And it came about when Jesus approached Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, go into the village opposite you, in which you, and when you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Thus you shall speak, the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent away went and found it just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. So twice he says that, the Lord has need of it. This is going to be the event, Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes riding into town. It's going to be the, the event, that the final event that p makes for the, the, the final disruption between Jesus and the, the religious leaders. He's claiming to be their king here. And they, and they get kind of angry about it. All right, we're going to see that in a minute. But this idea of passion, we call it the Passion Week. What does that mean? When you think of passion, maybe you think of a couple of young people who are passionately in love. Or maybe you think of a, a speaker who is passionate about a subject matter, or, or a debater who is, is just very passionate. But that's really not what we're talking about here in the Bible when we talk about the Passion Week. When we talk about the Passion Week, we're talking about suffering. We talk about the passion of Christ. We're talking about the suffering of Christ and all that he went through. And it includes a lot, this Passion Week. It includes pain and, and heartache. It includes disappointment and scourging and blood, and eventually it goes to the cross all the way to the point of death. This is what the Passion Week is all about. This is what the passion of Christ is all about. Right? Suffering, it's about suffering. And so the one who spoke the universe into existence, Jesus Christ, is going to suffer and weep and die just like we do. It's, it's almost unthinkable when you, when you realize what happened. This is Jesus Christ, the creator of all un the universe, the one who made you and me. He's going to suffer and die in our place. 
Did you know that Christianity is the only religion in the world whose God gets hurt? It's the only religion whose God gets stabbed and beaten. It's the only religion who, where, where the God rides in pain on the cross. He's whipped, he's mocked, he's ridiculed. His wounds in his body, that's the God we know and love. And he was willing to do that for us. Shouts through that suffering on the cross and he cries out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? In other words, Father, why are you making me suffer so much? It's basically what he's saying when he says that. And so there's no other religion in the world where God becomes man and where a, a, an instrument of torture becomes a throne of grace. And that grace is for us, the cross. When you come to the cross, all bets are off. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Forgiveness is free for everybody when we come to the cross. I think some of us, sometimes, we want a nice, neat picture of God. You know, our Father heart in heaven, up there where it's safe, away from all the mess. That's a picture of God a lot of us want. No divorce, no cancer, no accidents, no bullets, no bombs, no crime, no sin. None of that. We want a nice, safe God. And so what do we do on earth? We move away from our crime-ridden, sin-infested areas, and we go to the suburbs where we think it's safe, right? And we think it's like that for God. He goes to the suburbs in the sky or something like that. But it's not like that at all, folks. God, the creator of everything, came to our sin-infested, drug-infested, wild, crazy world. He, he left the safety of heaven to come to live among us. And that's what the passion of the Christ is all about. Jesus Christ coming to suffer in our place, to die in our place. People who don't deserve it, but by his grace we receive an amazing gift. The gift of eternal life is ours, and it's free. It doesn't cost us anything. You know, every gift costs somebody something, doesn't it? If you've ever gotten a birthday present or a Christmas present, somebody paid for it. And so when we talk about the gift of eternal life, you don't have to pay for it, but somebody did. God the Father paid for it by giving up his son for you and me. That's the price he had to pay. Salvation's free to us, but it costs God his son. And so this whole thing starts when Jesus enters Jerusalem on this donkey. He's basically saying, we're finally here. But you know what? This scene wouldn't even have been possible if the owner of the colt didn't allow the disciples to take the, the animal. Two times in this passage we read, Um, two times Jesus, they said the Lord has need of it when you, when you go and untie it and they ask you about it just tell them the Lord has need of it and then when they go the guy does ask and they say the Lord has need of it now this is a funny scene to me because this is how it plays out in our modern day world I live in Mashpee and so I go to Sandwich and I steal a car and I'm, I'm Jimmy in the lock and the guy comes out and says what are you doing I say the Lord has need of it that's kind of the scene here. It's kind of a crazy little scene. But somehow the guy's okay with it, and he sends, it, sends the, the animal off with them, to, and they bring the colt to Jesus. Now, my guess is this guy's just in town for the Passover. He's got his animal with him. Maybe it's part of his livelihood. I don't know, but he's probably a God-fearing man going to the temple to worship. And someone comes and takes his animal from him. But you know what? As much as he may have needed that colt, Jesus needed it more. And so how about you and me? Let's make see if we can apply this. 
What in our lives is God asking us to put forth for him? What does he want us to release into his hands and how will we respond to that? I think that's a valid question. It's probably something that you hold dear. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's talents or gifts that you have. Maybe it's your family. Uh, maybe it's you know, your pursuits or your time. or I don't know what it is, but what do you have in your life that you're holding on to so tightly that it's actually getting in the way of your relationship with God? And God's just saying, why don't you release it into my hands and trust me? Maybe that's what you're thinking about this morning, but twice in our passage, the Lord needs it. Are you willing to offer everything to Jesus? Will you offer everything to him, even if it means your life? That's a hard one. It might cost me my life, and I'm not sure I want to offer that up. Jesus was willing to do that. I'm reminded of a story from an old war movie, Bridge Over the River Kwai. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's an old one. But here's the scene. These English POWs, there's 10 of them, and they're in a, in a prison camp in Thailand. And every day they're made to go out into the jungle and build roads and bridges for the enemy. And so every day they're given a shovel, they go out, they dig, they, they do their work, they come back at the end of the day, they put their shovel against the guard shack, and they stand at attention. Well, on this one particular day, these 10 guys come back, they lay their shovels against the, the guard shack, and, uh, and they stand at attention, and the guy in charge, the, the enemy soldier, counts the shovels, and he counts nine. There's only nine. And so he comes over, and he's furious. And he's screaming and yelling, and where's the other shovel? And nobody says anything. They're just standing there at attention. I want to know where the shovel is, and nobody says anything. And so what he does, he takes his rifle, and he points it at the, the forehead of the first guy in line. He says, very calmly, I'm going to shoot him first, and then every one of you, until one of you fesses up, where's the shovel? And nobody said anything. They were just silent there. And then all of a sudden, out of the middle of the row comes this Scottish soldier, and he steps forward. And the, the, the enemy uh, guard goes over and takes the butt of his gun, hits him in the face with it, knocks him to the ground, and then takes the gun and uses it like a baseball bat and beats the guy to death. Then he, then he uh, barks out an order to get the guy up and take him back to the barracks. So all the, uh, the POWs do that. And he's still furious. He's fuming. He goes over to the guard shack and he counts the shovels again, only this time there's 10. There's 10 this time. What happened? He miscounted the shovels. Well, what's the point of that story? The point is that one person stepped forward and was willing to give his life to save the rest. That's what happened in that story, in that scene. And we know that's true with Jesus, right? One person stepped forward, Jesus Christ, so that we, his friends, wouldn't have to suffer. He suffers for us. And that's what's going to happen at the end of the week. We're right at the beginning of the week, but at the end of the week, he's going to suffer and die in our place. Because he went to the cross, many were saved. Many were rescued, right? And what if the choices we're to be making to offer whatever God needs to use in our life might save some lives? Is that a possibility? And so I'm just asking you to think about what is it that you're holding on to so tightly that it's actually not allowing God to do what he wants to do in your life. Release it into his hands. Give him the, what he's asking for. Your king has come, and he's come, and his purpose was clear, wasn't it? Jesus was all about doing the will of the Father. Several times in the, in the Gospels, he said this, I do not seek to please myself, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
And then in John chapter 6, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Again, Jesus says, and this is in Luke 22, My father, if possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. His purpose was clear. He was all about doing the will of the father. I wonder if we are. God wants us to do his will. He, he wants us to do what he's called us to do. But it takes some choice on our part. We've got to make a decision here. What is it that God wants me to do with my life? Am I willing to do that? So figure out what God's purpose is in your life and run with it. So we're at the triumphal entry, the Passion Week, Palm Sunday, and it leads us to the temple, verse 45 and 46. And as he entered the temple, he began to cast out those who were selling, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you are making it into a, a robber's den. And the other, other gospels, as you read this, in John's gospel, I believe it is, he actually makes a whip and starts flipping tables over and throwing people out of the temple. Because what's going on here, the, the, these money changers had this racket going on, and they were forcing people to pay to worship God. That's what's going on. And so here's how it would work. I mentioned the unblemished, unspotless lamb earlier. Well, you would come to the temple with an unblemished, spotless lamb for sacrifice. And there would be priests there examining your, your offering. And of course, what would happen, they would, they would uh, look it over and say, oh, look, you missed a little spot here. This is not a perfect lamb, but we have some for sale, probably at some exorbitant price. And so they would sell you an animal in order for you to be able to worship God. And what happened to the lamb that had the little spot on the leg? Right back in the flock to be used for some other unsuspecting customer. It was a racket. It was a ripoff. It was a, it was a shell game that they were playing. And it made Jesus mad. He was furious. And in, in the other Gospels, as I said, he starts turning tables over, dumping the money bags out, snapping a whip, running them out of the temple. And he's, as he says here, my father's house is to be a place of prayer, not a place of commerce and, and ripping people off. And so he's furious. But can you blame him? A king like Jesus is not going to go into his temple without cleaning it up. How do we apply that? Today, we are the temple of God. Right? Paul says the spirit of God lives in us. This is God's temple now. And so as such, it should be clean. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. This is where God dwells today. He doesn't live in a building somewhere, as, as in the temple, but he lives in us, in you and me. And so as such, these temples need to be clean and pure for God to be able to dwell in it. Problem is, what does God find way too often in these temples? Greed, lust, laziness, pride. Just can start listing off all the sins that could be in there. If that's the case, if that's what's going on in us, you can't expect God to do anything but turn tables over. He's going to come in and start cleaning house. That's what he wants to do. When you come to faith in Christ at the beginning, you don't have to be clean and pure. It's not that we get cleaned up before he comes. We invite God in, and then we just step back and let him start cleaning house. That's how it should work. I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy of Christ's heart, my home. Here's the picture. 
your life is like a house and God shows up, Jesus knocks at the door, you open him, you let him in, only he turns around, shuts the door and locks it and throws the key away as if to say, I'm never leaving, but I'm here to clean house. And so you let him go through your life and start cleaning things up. Gets the first floor immaculate, it looks great. And he heads upstairs and he finds this room with padlocks on it and skull and crossbone and no trespassing and stay out and and he says, I gotta clean that room too. And you say, oh no, 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 that's from my old life. I'm hanging on to that. You can't clean that room. And sometimes we're hanging on to stuff from our old life and he wants to clean it up. This is where God dwells, in us. He wants our temple to be pure. And so we open up the door and let him in. The gospels, even a little kid can understand the gospel, right? You don't have to do anything to become a Christian except to trust Jesus, put your faith in Jesus. All that cleaning up stuff is something he does once you're his. Once you're born into the family of God, God wants to start cleaning things up. You've got to be willing to let him do that. We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And so in our story, verse 39, the Pharisees recognize what's going on. Some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why does he want... Why do they want him to rebuke the disciples? Because I think they realize, hey, they're calling you king. You're not the king. And, and what, what does Jesus say? If they don't cry out, the rocks will. In other words, all of creation will worship me. And he, he's basically saying, I am the king. All of creation has figured this out. Why don't you religious leaders? Why haven't you figured it out yet? It's kind of an in-your-face kind of message that Jesus gives them here in one, in one statement. I am the king. And so the Passion Week is leading up to the cross. That, and, and for many of us, that's the, the, the part of Christianity that we look at and we, we sometimes struggle with. But it's the greatest Friday in history. And I, Jesus is well aware that the souls of men and women are at stake, right? He knows that the, world, the, the sins of the world are on the line here. And so his suffering would not be done in a quiet, secret, out-of-the-way place. Like John the Baptist being beheaded in a dungeon for no one to see. Or maybe in a back alley somewhere he gets stoned. No, 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 that would not do. His death would be public for the whole world to see. Everyone would see it. They'd put, put the crosses in a place that was a main thoroughfare for everyone to see it as he went by. It was going to be a very public, public execution. No quiet hush-hush event. And in one sense, Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, the ball's in your court. What are you going to do? What will you do? I think that's a valid question for all of us. But the question he's asking these leaders is, are you going to bow down and worship me, or are you going to spit on me? Are you going to worship, uh, ridicule me, or are you going to uh, worship me? Are you going to serve me, or are you going to betray me? Are you going to accept me, or are you going to kill me? Valid question for all of us is, what will you do with Jesus as you think about the Passion Week, as you think about Good Friday and all that he did? I, you probably don't know anybody who would have done what he did for you. Giving his life for you. When, when, I'm, at, when I'm talking to the guys at the jail, the way I uh, illustrate it is, suppose the officer comes to you and says, pack up your stuff, you're leaving. Somebody just showed up out front to do your time for you. And they always laugh at me when I say that. And they think it's funny. But I said, imagine if that happened. And you, you, the officer escorts you out, and here comes this guy down the hallway. He comes by you and says, I got this. And you don't know the guy. You don't deserve it. You've done nothing to earn it. 
He just does your time for you. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. He took our place. We're the sinners. We should have died on the cross. He didn't have to. He did nothing wrong. He was perfect without sin. And so the gospel is pretty simple. Believe in Jesus. Trust Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Whatever term helps you, you're you're trusting what he did for you to pay for your entire sin problem. And he sets you free by giving you the gift of eternal life when you do that. So Jesus predicts something here in verse 43 and 44. The day shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, about, maybe about 50 years after this, 40 years after this. But the key to this that I want you to think about is the king showed up and you missed it. I think that's what he's saying to them here. The Messiah arrived, salvation appeared, and you missed it. That's what he was saying to these guys. Peace and redemption and freedom and, and forgiveness were offered, but they missed it. And the question for us is, are we going to miss it? When salvation shows up, will you miss it? Maybe today is that day for you. Maybe today is the day of salvation. The question, of course, is the king has come. What will you do with Jesus? Now, let me close with an illustration. Some of you know the story of Blondine. Blondine was a trapeze artist. He was a tightrope walker. He was very famous back in the last century. And he used to do all kinds of tricks on the tightrope. Well, one day he went to Niagara Falls, and he put a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he was walking across, and the crowds were there cheering for him. And he went across at one point with a chair, set it down, sat in it, and ate lunch out in the middle of the rope. Went back, came, came across, did all these crazy things, stood on his hands. Then he took a wheelbarrow across. And the people were like, oh, this guy's awesome. Then the next time he filled the wheelbarrow with bricks and took that across. And he came back, and the people were cheering, you're awesome, you're the greatest. He says, you think I can do it again? And this one guy says, I know you can, I just watched you. And he said, get in the wheelbarrow. And the guy didn't know what to do. What's my point? My point is that you can't just go to church and hang out on the fringes. You've got to decide to get in the wheelbarrow. Will you put your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus Christ? Because that's where it starts, folks. Without that, everything's lost in the end. Trusting Jesus Christ is what it's all about. That's what it means to get in the wheelbarrow. The guy, if he got in that wheelbarrow, would be saying, I trust you to get me across to the other side. And if we'll get in the wheelbarrow, if we'll put our faith in Jesus, he will get us to the other side, folks. I guarantee it. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for what Palm Sunday represents, just the beginning of an amazing, amazing week, the Passion Week, the triumphal entry when you commit to town on a little donkey, claiming yourself to be king, which you truly are. And Father, our our prayer is that today you would be king of our lives, that we would find ourselves in your presence, worshiping you often, glorifying you through the way we live because of your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for what transpired on the cross five days later, that our sins were forgiven. We thank you for coming back to life, guaranteeing that we one day will rise from the dead as well. We praise and we thank you in Jesus' great name.
Amen.